Welcome to Overcome Podcast. In today's episode, I'm going to talk with Dr. Michael Pajkarski, physical therapist, former MMA fighter, and black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Dr. Mike has a lot of experience rehabbing athletes, and he's going to bring some very good insights about not only injury prevention, but also recovery and some of the other tips uh, that he usually applies to his athletes to get better after a major injury. So let's get it started. Dr. Michael Pajkarski, welcome to Overcome Podcast. Thank you very, very much for taking the time to record this today. Hey, I'm happy to be here. Doctor, uh, I invited you uh, because I've been following uh, some of your posts, which are extremely helpful, by the way. Uh, all the IG posts that you are creating mm -hmm. with all the details and everything, a lot of good content out there. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. I appreciate it. I'm glad you find it yeah, helpful. Yeah, absolutely helpful. And, and it comes from someone that knows the science and also know the, knows yeah. the practice. Because you are a black belt in BJJ, right? Correct. For how, yeah. how, for how many years? I got my black belt in 2018. So That's awesome. That's yeah. really, really cool. And you've done MMA too, right? I have, yeah. So I had, um, I think I've had six MMA fights and then I've had about five kickboxing fights. But uh, the, yeah, so I've competed a bit. But you are more passionate about BJJ, it looks like, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I do both, but like once, like once I wasn't competing in MMA more, it, it was kind of harder to do them all, right? Just like when you're a working professional, like I mean, as it is, like the thing with MMA which makes it so challenging is because you have to do your striking, you have to do your grappling, you have to do your wrestling. So I guess you could break it up to like stand up grappling and then ground grappling and then strength and conditioning. So like once I wasn't actually doing that competitively, it was hard to do it all. So for a while I was like, well, if I only have time, so much time, I started focusing more on jiu-jitsu. Mm -hmm. But I am getting a little bit back into some kickboxing because um, you know, I spent quite a few years working on it and to just stop and do it, you know, not do it at all was kind of uh, disappointing to me. So I'm trying to make some time into doing that right. as well. Uh, now, let me ask you this. Um, do you also agree that since you were doing so many uh, martial arts, you also get more exposed to injuries, I, I, I imagine, right? Yeah, I mean, yes, I did. Um, I would say that the the different arts do will, will present more injuries, but it's kind of different. Because I would say um, with striking arts, there's a higher intensity, but I would say like I wouldn't get as many injuries per se, but I would be like my body would feel more punched. Mm -hmm. Like like after I'm done with a Muay Thai session, my body would just be hurting more, right? Because you're getting impacted. But I didn't really get injured in striking. I'm obviously there is always the chance of getting like a concussion or a head injury, but generally with um, sparring, like I, I wasn't, you know, especially like later in my career, I wasn't mm -hmm. doing like the gym wars. Um, uh, one of the things I would say is when we do MMA rounds, like you start from the feet and then there's wrestling, the intensity would be very different than all of them. I, I just feel that like MMA rounds, the intensity would just be higher in general, just because like if you're doing ground grappling or, or you're, you're, you're grappling and then you miss that takedown in MMA, it's much worse because now you're tired and you're in a bad spot. Like if, if I was doing jujitsu and, and I'm wrestling, I get it. Like in my mind, 
that wasn't really that big of a deal. But MMA, like now I'm in a really bad spot. So the intensity of that of those sparring, even if we weren't like hurting each other, right. um, was still higher. And I would say that that intensity is likely where a lot of the injuries happen. Like if you look at literature, a lot of the injuries in um, uh, grappling specifically happen with like with takedowns. Either you're defending a takedown or you're trying to do it. You know, so with something like MMA with a high intensity, someone's shooting for that takedown. And then you're you're maybe aggressively fighting it. Like that's where more of the injuries, like the, the like more serious injuries occur. Yeah. And and, and it's, it's interesting that you say that because my foot injury did happen during a takedown. Um mm -hmm. it was just a bizarre thing. Uh and I was trying to do a judo takedown, uh Tayatoshi mm -hmm. and just uh misstep mm -hmm. and, and, and cause the the completely uh rupture of my Lynx Frank uh, ligament completely. Oh yeah, wow! So it was very, yeah. very severe. Yeah. Um, you said it was your ankle. It, no, it was uh, the top of the foot, the the Lin's trunk ligament, right on top of the foot. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a, a a tough injury to come back from. Yes, <laughs> and I'm yeah. on three months. Uh, this yeah, was yeah. back in September. Yeah. I'm on the uh, third month of rehab, and yeah. I still have a uh, some months yeah. ahead to be able to fully walk and train again. So it's really hard. Yeah, yeah. Foot is something yeah. that people yeah. don't realize, but foot is when when you have a problem, is it takes some time to to recover. And you had a post yeah. about ankle locker, which which is not the same issue, but since it's close to the foot, it also requires more time to recover, right? True, true. Yeah, I think what makes like especially like your foot injury is like you being non weight bearing, it becomes more apparent, right? Because if you can't bear weight for six to eight weeks or however long, depending on your surgeon. Like you feel that more than if you have like certain injuries. Like even if you have like injuries, like most shoulder injuries, even if you're in a sling, like you're usually not in a sling for more than six weeks, you know. But like foot injuries, like when you can't walk, like that becomes mm -hmm. more. Uh, it impacts your life more than potentially other injuries. Yeah, and with your experience, how many years of uh, you doing PT, uh, physical therapy uh, professionally, doctor? Uh, six. six. So I I, I came out. I graduated in 2015, but my last year, like so your last year of school, you're essentially, you're essentially, you're in the clinic. I was in the clinic full time. Mm -hmm. um, so you've so been practicing for way more than just that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, with your experience, because that happened to me, I just want to validate, and I've read some other research about that. Um, the the rehab uh, and right after the surgery. There is a lot of psychological, mental health problems that happens, mainly with athletes, right? That they feel that uh, yeah. they are not able to do what they like to do, and they go to that uh, almost like depressing mode. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've seen it this way. So obviously, everyone has like their activity that they're most interested. In. You know, I'm into martial arts. Obviously, you're into martial arts. So we'll just use martial arts as the focus. You know, all these athletes who get injured, like they want to do their sport and then they can't. And then so now you have like kind of like two situations where there's some people that become very depressed because you that activity that that's given them so much passion and focus is taken away from them. You know, and like certain injuries, like your injury, unfortunately, is you know a fairly involved rehab process. So you have people who then, you know, they, they don't want to deal with it. And then there's some people that will, will literally just give up on the sport. I remember I was talking to one guy and um, he had a partial ACL tear. And, you know, I'm, I'm talking to him and, and based on everything, I was like, you know, I think you, you know, like, let's try conservative rehab first and see how you do. If you have to do surgery, you have to. But like, let's see how you do. I'm fairly confident. And he was like almost like he's almost like trying to 
it was very interesting what, what he was discussing because he's like, I'm going to just be done with jujitsu. I'm done with jujitsu. If I need surgery, I'm done. So it's like, it, I wasn't telling him what he wanted to hear, mm. but he kind of wanted me to tell him like, oh, you'll be fine. You don't need surgery because he was like, in his mind, if he needs surgery for ACL. He's probably out for about a year. He's like, well, I might as well just quit jujitsu. And he had, I mean, he had like a, a job opportunity which involved him not getting surgery. So I think that had something to do with it as yeah. well. But there's definitely that psychological aspect of like, you know, like when you know your rehab is going to be, you know, very involved, you might not be on the mat for a while. That's very hard for people. Then you have the, the other group of people that try to get back way too fast. Like, you know, I, I, I was talking to some guy online and he was saying like he got back to jujitsu after four months from an ACL re, uh, reconstruction. I'm like, that is like way, way, way too soon, you oh, know? Wow. And he's like, well, I felt fine. I'm like, I mean, you're gonna. The, the thing with something like an ACL is like around the three, four months, like usually feel really good, but that ACL is still fairly weak and, and the attachment isn't really that strong. So it's kind of dangerous because you think you can do more than you should be doing. You know, um, luckily he didn't re hurt himself, but I'm like, had to make a big deal that other people that were like reading the conversation understood. I'm like, you might have been fine. I would highly recommend you don't do that because you're not ready mm -hmm. for it. You know, although if, although you feel yeah. ready, but uh, technically speaking, you're still in a weak spot, right? Yes, you know, and I would say that's like one thing that like I've been trying to push over the last few months is like because I am a rehab specialist and because I'm you know a fairly high level practitioner, I kind of understand what needs to happen and I can kind of like talk to grapplers and explain I'm like okay well I know you want to get back now but it's not just about getting back to training it's how do we get you back as safe as possible without re-injury like you know with a lot of rehab like we can get people back but just because it doesn't hurt doesn't mean they're ready mm, you know like maybe yeah. you're and, and, and there's times like I remember before I was a physical therapist when I was I had an injury I remember I had a shoulder injury and I'm like trying to roll with one arm and like at the time I'm like this is cool like now I can work at a weakness that was honestly a waste of time because not only was I not really getting much training out there was several times I like re-hurt myself and I had to like stop again I'm like why didn't I just take more time yeah, off yeah. you know so I, I think it's helpful to have someone who understands the the sport whatever it is so that we can get you back, you know, like as soon as possible, because it might not just be like, go back to full rolling, right? Because that's what happens too, is maybe you work with a surgeon or physician, like, oh, you're good to go back. And it's going from like not doing it all to like full training because there's no guidance. Mm -hmm. Like something that I can do is like actually can guide someone along. Like maybe you can't do takedowns, but maybe if you, you're doing your ground grappling, like maybe you can do like certain guard positions. Or you, or you can you know? just start with so drills, way, just drills. Or drills, yeah. I mean, so, so generally what I'll do is like, you, this is kind of like a like a quick thing that, that I do with people. If like, you want to get back to training, first you want to make sure that you can, you can drill all the positions from the bottom, the top, different various positions. Then you can maybe progress to like, uh, like flow rolling. But like they, they have to actually know how to flow because there's a lot of people that, you know, I know a lot of guys that are brown and and, um, and purple belts who really can't flow. So you have to actually flow. Mm -hmm, yeah. But with someone that you trust because you have to make sure the partner can also yeah. flow. Then I would then maybe position to those uh, like uh, positional training. Like again, like maybe there's other things you do. Then I might have someone do like low intensity rolling 
Um, then we can do normal rolling. Usually takedowns are going to be the last thing that I do. And, and that was back to the point that I mentioned earlier is takedowns just happen to be a little bit more risky for re-injury, but it's also that intensity because it's kind of hard to flow takedowns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Either you do it or you yeah. don't, you know? So that's kind of like the, 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 the kind of the process that I take someone through where we want to make sure things are good. You know, and, and one thing that's fun that I get to do when I get to do this, this is really fun was when I actually get to work with the practitioner and I'm the one doing with him. It's like, okay, I'm going to flow with you because again, me being a black belt, like I can flow and like, there's no ego for me. Like I can just, this train. Is, then this, is, this, is, training, I do this is great. It's almost like a private at that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, you know, like, so, so I was working with a, uh, um, a fellow black belt after ACL surgery and that's kind of like what I viewed it as like we were just I mean even though like I'm not technically better than him because we're both black belts like it was a private because I was using my physical therapy knowledge and like what is safe and you know we were going over and then we'd slowly go over certain positions that I thought would be problematic for him like he ended up hurting his knee with a knee cut pass like he kind of he kind of forced a, a pass from half mm-hmm. guard he was um, you know so I'm like there are certain things that we drilled and we would go over them like this is what you did wrong now this is how i'd recommend passing mm-hmm. you know and, and and one of the things is also kind of interesting is when i'm injured now as a physical therapist because i kind of like take those injuries and i kind of like see it from the lenses from my patients so i remember um i think in about july i had a, a groin injury and it was pretty bad and it was very interesting kind of like going through the process of getting back. And I actually found that like, so when I got to the phase where I returned to rolling and I was going like lower intensity, I actually found that my technique was way better. And I kind of changed things about my game, which were overall beneficial because when I was passing, I had to make sure that I couldn't let anybody get a leg lock on me because like if, if they like, you know, pulled yep. a leg, like my groin was still pretty weak. So I was doing more slow passes. I was passing from my knees, which um, you're, do, you're doing almost like more pressure, more pressure while. pass, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was more pressure passing, and, and I found it. You know, and also in addition to being, you know, going slow, it actually was good because if you do pressure passing, you kind of do it slow. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, even though like there's intensity, like you're you're trying to hold a position, you're not going fast, and actually. When, when I think of intensity, that speed was would be more of something that would have been problematic for me. And I feel like that's when people try to do things really, really fast is when they kind of get into trouble. Right, right. Unless they are really like yeah. lightweight, uh, that they have also the yeah. mobility to do it. Because for guys, I'm a, su- I'm a super Correct. heavy on IBGF uh, division, so it's hard for me. I'm on 220 yeah. pounds, so it's uh, I, I need to yeah. do slow. I don't really have that speed anyway, yeah. so um, I don't try to, to do yeah. uh, act too much explosive things because that's usually when the, the injury happens, as you said. Now, yeah. now yeah. Um, you, you have a, a pretty decent roadmap uh, from someone that went to the injury to go back mm-hmm. to full role. With your experience, we are talking about, what, eight, eight months uh, between you know the, the surgery and the... The, the, the full role or even more than that or depends on the or the injury um well it depends on the injury we'll, we'll take acl just because there's so much research on the on the acl re- reconstruction so um for that one i would you i would potentially get someone doing like sports specific drills by about six months assuming but it's not just time like a lot of times again you know they say oh 
it's been this long, you should be back. I'm also doing this process. I'm also doing constant reassessment of seeing like, where's their strength? Where's their balance? Where's their power? Are they ready? For something like um, ACL reconstruction, I usually encourage people to get more specific um, objective measures. So at the clinic I work at, we have like some cool technology where I literally can like compare with you know uh, a dynamometer. So I could see like, where is your quad strength? Where is your hamstring mm-hmm. strength? Then we could do things like, and I can you know get people on a force plate and I can watch them jump and we can see, hey, surgery leg is still lacking some power maybe you're caving into valgus which is kind of a dangerous position even though jumping itself isn't something necessary for jujitsu a jump is also a good way to um, express power development which is important for takedowns but it's also important for power development is also your ability to absorb a load so like again something explosive happens can you absorb that Mm -hmm. power Um, so assuming they pass all that six seven months i have people start doing some sports specific drills ideally i would probably hold someone to nine months before i get them back to full rolling and the reason why is because when you get people back to a sport before nine months the retear rates are really high so like you know a few years ago they used to get people back to sports at like six months but the retail rates were like again really really high they, they drop pretty significantly every month up to about nine months. And in nine months, they kind of plateau. So, you know, if I'm dealing with a recreational athlete, I would say, hey, let's hold them nine months just because I know that's safe. If it's a professional athlete, then it kind of depends on the situation just because some athletes, you know, they make their – they literally make their living on their sport. So they may be more willing to risk it. But again, you know, they have to still pass all these other things. But – Nine months is kind of what I would shoot for. Um, if, let's say, you're a competitive athlete, I'd still try to hold them back from competing until nine months. You know, like I know, um, like Tony Ferguson, he had an LCL uh, surgery a few years ago. Um, and I think he came back at six months. But I think from the injury, from the surgery to his fight, again, with Tony Ferguson, <laughs> he's not the guy that people need to model themselves after <laughs> because he's such a freak of nature. But, like, I mean, then there was rumors that he, like, didn't actually do any sparring. Like, he just did his rehab, got strong, got conditioned, and, you know, and then, yeah, fighting Anthony Pettis, and he looked awesome. You know, I, like, the whole time, I'm like, this is a bad idea. I'm like, but he looked great, so what do I know? Um, but you know, It's also hard to measure if you feel yeah. good and if you are seven months yeah. in, how can you actually validate yeah. if you are still in danger? Just, be, just based on statistics yeah. or there is any a uh, scientific way to look to do it maybe an MRI will show uh, that everything is is, is yeah. here correct do you, do you know what will be yeah. uh, the, the key point um, well like I said for an ACL like that was easy because there's certain return to sport things like again I do strength testing I could do hop testing and that's to, to show just based on a lot of the research on, on where um, you know I, I think if you look at the literature um, when people have like less than 90% quad strength or their single leg hops was about 90% compared to the contralateral side they're at a higher risk of re-injury again that's just ACL for something like a foot injury I wouldn't think that like for you like the Liz Frank injury it's not going to be the same way because like you don't necessarily like your quad strength isn't necessarily as much of a factor at you right. returning you right. know what I mean so Something like, you know, like your injury, it could be six to eight months, you know, but like 
I would still run people through similar tests. Like, you know, I would, I would do single leg hop testing with you. Cause again, if like you, if you're, if you're having trouble doing single leg hops, you know, then it's going to be a little bit harder for you to absorb a load for like a, you know, a takedown. Like, let's say, you know, so like that is some, some things that I would do. And, you know, not, not every clinic is going to have access to um, more like high level objective testing, but, you know, like a, a good sport physiotherapist can do like a basic hop testing. Like literally, like you just need a um, some kind of like measuring tape and you can kind of like assess, you know, and th- th- there's different, there's different objective tests out there. Like there's like a single leg hop, there's a tri hop, there's a cross hop. So there's a bunch of different tests. But I mean, you know, anyone who's a sports physiotherapist should know them and can run the, run you through them. And again, if, if you're like 80% or 90% to 100%, then I'm going to feel pretty good. Um, some clinicians will comment that like 90% might not be good enough because you have to consider that when you have an injury, technically um, all of your exercise would have been reduced over the time so that likely your contralateral side probably would have got a little bit weaker. So sometimes they want people to be about a hundred percent, but you know, again, I'm just using, right. you know, what's currently out there. 90% is kind of like the gold standard right now. Uh, well, we, um, we were talking about the, the, the different mindset that drives people to either uh, quit completely or, uh, postpone, but I think that is also you probably yeah. have examples of that of people that came back even better, right? Because they were so hungry, oh, they absolutely. were so hungry to come back. They did everything that you said to do. They waited, and then when they came back, they came back better, right? Yeah, well, because well, there's two things, right? So there's one a lot, and this is very common with jujitsu athletes specifically, is because a lot of jujitsu athletes don't actually do complementary strength and conditioning, right? They just do their sport because they love it. I would say like other sports like judo and wrestling, because like those sports are a little bit more ingrained with competition, competition, your competitors are do strength and conditioning. Usually they're like, they're already doing that. But for jujitsu, for whatever reason, like they just don't like doing strength and conditioning. So if let's say you take that athlete and now they haven't, they're not doing jujitsu for four or sorry, six to eight months or however long. Now, while you're doing your rehab, you you know, it, it usually around like the three or four month mark, maybe no, more like the four and the fifth month mark, they're doing like real strength and conditioning at that mm-hmm. point. So now they're getting stronger. Maybe there's things that now that they're working with rehab specialists, there's like these kind of like movement faults or compensatory patterns that the rehab specialist connects. Be like, okay, I know we're working on your foot, but now that we're checking you out, maybe your your hip are really stiff. And then, you know, they start doing some mobility exercises and, and now your hip's moving better, which then theoretically could help your guard game because now your hip can do more stuff, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, like th- that's something which is, just beneficial as you're working with somebody so again someone's in better conditioning they're stronger they're faster um but then there's the mental aspect where a lot of times when you take time off it almost like it lets you kind of like resets you right because a lot of times when you're an athlete you're just going to training and you're rolling and you're not not every athlete goes into a training session saying hey this is what i want to work on today but like when you have that time off it kind of forces you to reset um, you know, where, where maybe you're a little bit more analytical and you can take it, take your, your training a little bit more seriously. Sometimes again, before the injury, they kind of took their training for granted. Now once they train, they're taking things a little bit more seriously. Cause they're like, I haven't trained for six months. Like this time's really valuable. Right. right. Uh, there is a whole sense. Yeah. And I was telling this to a friend of mine, he, 
he is in Orlando today uh, competing at the at the Worlds, and I, I said, look, what, what, whatever happens, just be grateful that you have the opportunity to do what you're doing because I would love to be there, but I can't. Uh, yeah. So just just yeah. the the sense of gratitude to be yeah. able to uh, practice is is a huge deal, I think. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It is really, it is frustrating when like you're injured and you see everyone competing. You're like, I want to yeah. be there. I get it. And not yeah. only that, I'm not sure if what is your strategy. But when I was, because some people have a different take on that. When I was uh, in bed and I couldn't bear weight. Uh, I didn't want to go yeah. just to watch a training. Some people said, no, I, I was there yeah. to see everyone. I was like, no, in, in my case, I, I don't want to see people train and I'd not be able to train. I'd rather stay at home. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, so I guess, I guess it also depends on your mindset. So there's some people that say you should go or watch tape, but then you're like, well, if I can't train, or like, you know, like Jocko Willick is always like, if you're injured, good. And the idea is like, do something else like what I would do like especially when COVID hit right so gyms are closed for a few months I'm like I can't do jiu-jitsu like what so in my mind I'm thinking what else can I do so that was a time that I started taking uh, my mobility my strength and conditioning to a different level because I'm like before I would try to train three to four times a week now I wasn't getting that in so any time that I was using for training I would just throw in for a mobility session or a strength mm -hmm. session and I found that really helpful right because it's like I can't do jiu-jitsu, but I can do this. And I remember I was talking to someone and they're like, oh, are you watching instructionals? I'm like, well, no, because if I can't do jiu-jitsu, what's the point of watching an instructional? Because then I can't apply right. it. Like I was actually using that time to do more uh, research based on physical therapy or performance or strength and conditioning. Just, you know what I mean? Because for me, like I'm a different case because I'm I'm not really uh, I'm, I would still consider myself more like a recreational athlete because I'm not really competing very much right now. So I'm like, well, I still want to get better at what I do as a physical therapist. So I'm like, I would just use that time to study things related to that. And as you said, you so were then, doing mobility, doing... which improves your game when you came back. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So like, it was all things that would be overall beneficial to my jujitsu. But then again, like you, you only have so much time during the day. Like now, like if I'm in the clinic, like sometimes I don't necessarily want to go home and do research for physical therapy. Like I'm not a student anymore. I do do it, but like I'd rather just go do something jujitsu related because it's almost like switch gears. Like it, I can stay a little bit fresher, mm -hmm. you know? So that's kind of like my mentality. Like right now, like now that I can do jiu-jitsu now, now is when I would watch the instructional so I actually can take advantage of doing them and uh, trying them and applying them um, and then when I can't do jiu-jitsu I'll do something else yeah. you have a, a very interesting post that everyone was uh, comment about and sharing about uh, cryo uh, around icing and everything mm -hmm. um, yeah is your take on that uh, more from the after the fight or after a workout type of uh, recovery? Or do you have the same opinion if someone is actually rehabbing from an injury like myself? Because I'm, I'm icing my foot uh, three times a day just because it's, it's still very swelling. Uh, and mm -hmm. I received this recommendation to keep icing to, to decrease the swelling. Um, but then I, I, I stumbled, stumbled yeah. that post of yours. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. is this more towards the, re well, the, the actual recovery from training? Or does this also apply from uh, uh, formal rehab post-surgery? So, well, I, so then the answer, which is 
usually is it depends, right? So what does ice do? So ice, in my opinion, is a very good way to reduce pain. If you look at a lot of the literature, I don't think it does a lot for swelling. But then at the same time, then there's the argument, which is, if you have an injury, you want the injury to, it has to go through this natural cycle of repair and remodel, which ice may actually slow down, yep. right? Because it, if it actually stops swelling, you know, because the problem isn't the swelling, it's the accumulation of mm -hmm. swelling. So in my opinion, to deal with the accumulation of swelling, I think compression is a little bit better. So what I recommend to people is if someone has resting pain, so if you're just at surgery, like we know you're not getting back to your sport for a few months. So like in the grand scheme of things, if you put on ice tomorrow, is it really going to slow you? Like, are you not going to get back on the mats? Is it going to take that much longer? No, it's not likely overall. You will still get back to the, uh, on the mat at the same time. So someone's post-surgical ice is still beneficial because I would prefer icing than being like uh, forced to be like reliant on, you know, op opioids or other like pain medication. Right. So for pain, it's really yeah. good. The problem that I, I see a lot is a lot of times it's just kind of ingrained. You go to your rehab, you do your exercises and you ice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's like, if someone doesn't have resting pain, I'm not going to want to give them ice because there's different phases of rehab. So the first phase, like phase one, is kind of like we're protecting the injury. We're trying to get your resting pain down. We're trying to get your range of motion back. That's kind of when ice is most applicable. Kind of that second phase, which is your, your your pain is a lot less, but you still have pain. But now we're starting to maybe doing some more like functional moving patterns. Like maybe I'm with someone we're doing like some like low resistance squats or lunges or something like that. Phase three is at this point you really don't really have pain anymore. And now we're actually doing strength building. So the problem is, is I work with a lot of people and we're in that third phase and they're still getting ice. Yeah, that, that But again, sense, if, yeah. if ice is... It doesn't make sense because you don't have pain so why are we doing it and then you know if an instagram i only have so much space but you know in a follow-up thing I, I talk about icing for um with strength and conditioning and if you look at it what it, what it showed was that if you're doing cons and, and they're saying ice like cryotherapy right, right? so it was, it was a i think it was a ice uh, ice bath so it's like if you're doing your strength training and then you immediately jump in the ice it's actually blunting the physiological response that we need to get you stronger so yes, you recover, but the workout wasn't as effective just because it, you know the, the effects are, are changed. So that's very interesting because know, so, I've, I've, I was watching the other day uh, some of the uh, CrossFit games, and they, as soon as they finish, they yeah. go straight to the uh, to the uh, uh, ice bath and they just dive yeah. into there. Like wow, it's like yeah. standard. But. But so again, so th then again, you have to understand the why that's really important. So if let's say like you were doing a CrossFit workout, like you're just working out and then you go into the ice bath, that's not really that effective. But if you're competing and you're doing something like CrossFit, we're doing multiple events, like you're not necessarily trying to work out that day to, to get stronger. You're working out to express your skill. So for them, ice actually would be beneficial because again, it doesn't really matter if you get the adaptation but you need to recover before your next event, you know? So for, for a lot of like martial artists, they're, they love the cryotherapy. I would say that if you're using cryotherapy after a skill training session, like a skill development session, then it could be beneficial. But if you're doing like one of those like crazy competition days where you're just rolling really hard and, and you're, you're, 
you're trying to also get like a cardiovascular benefit because you're working hard and like then maybe the ice isn't as beneficial mm -hmm. right so you know and, and that's why like i'm not a big fan of like when you know there's these like recovery centers because i feel like and i, I posted on this uh actually i think yesterday i think that a lot of modalities and training programs have different um, applications but it's really up to the rehab specialist to kind of guide you along which is are you is this an appropriate intervention at this time because you see these these things and they just they're like they do everything like they're like i get my stim i get my my ice you know i get soft tissue work and they get all this thing but it's like did you need all that or did you not yeah. need that right and you know so like for you you're post-surgical you know you're, you're still not you know it sounds like you still have some stuff that's going on ice would probably still be very applicable for no. you but like maybe a few months down the road you want to pain you're back to things maybe it's not you know mm -hmm. yeah and, and I, I actually feel like the ice to me is more to reduce the swelling although you say you you don't too much agree with mm -hmm. that but my range of motion at least from the ankle perspective gets better after icing mm -hmm. just because it's not that swell mm -hmm. you know when it's really swell yeah. it's hard to even yeah. do you know the up and down movement with my foot yeah 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 like i said if you if you find it beneficial I would say keep doing it because another thing I'll throw in is there's preference. Like I have some people that hate ice. So I'm like, why would I force them to do ice? You know, like I, I personally, I don't ice my injuries. Like I had, again, I had minor surgeries. Like I didn't really ice much afterwards, but I didn't have much problem. Like I didn't have a lot of pain. So it doesn't really make sense. Some people love it. If you love it, go for it. But just again, understand what it's there for, why you're using it and don't just use it to use it. That's true. That That's a, that's a very good yeah. point. And on and on the yeah. same post, actually, you post one thing about ice in one day, and the next day, I think you, you post about heat. So heat has also mm -hmm. a really important point in this recovery, but it's a different phase in a different purpose, right? Yeah. So I, I, again, with with scientific literature and posts, there's only so much information. So what they found was that if you work out and then you go into you do some kind of heat training, didn't actually create any benefit. So. In that one article, it showed that if, let's say, you do a workout and then you ice, you will then your follow-up workout, your performance would improve, which is why, like a CrossFit athlete, which is doing the games, would benefit mm -hmm. from it. I also think that there are some benefits to heat that necessarily wouldn't be covered in performance, meaning that I think if you do heat today, you're not necessarily going to have a better workout later today. One of the things, which again wasn't covered in the article that I'd want to do more research is potentially heat would be able to get you from a sympathetic nervous state to a parasympathetic nervous state, right? So like when we work out, we're in that, that, you know, flight or fight, which is needed to, you know, to make sure that we we're kind of like operating in all cylinders. But then for the recovery standpoint, we want to be in a parasympathetic nervous state, right? Because that's where we actually get the adaptation. Mm -hmm. So potentially, and again, I have to do some more research on this to say, potentially like a like a, a sauna or some kind of heat could then get us in that parasympathetic nervous state so that we can then recover and we're adapting but again just based on that study and how it was defining performance it didn't notice a significant benefit interesting do you do you ever use any uh during your uh rehab any type of uh, laser therapy or you don't use laser a lot um i don't um, one thing to keep in mind is just my clinic doesn't have one, so I don't mm -hmm. use light. And then two, 
Um, depends on what light you're using and you know the research is kind of mixed sometimes that like I think a class 4 laser does have some benefits for the healing process um, what I what I would usually say when it comes to a modality is I kind of would like rank what's most important and then I would take the athlete and say if like let's say they're done with the session and maybe there's still time and that modality is available is it going to hurt them right so Overall, like the most beneficial thing that I can give any athlete, it's as education, right? So my job isn't to fix the athlete, it's to guide them along and kind of like help them through the process, develop the plan, identify what the problem is and how we're gonna get better. And I know like some people like don't don't think of that as being important. Like that's like the most important thing. Of course thing it I is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and then the next thing, which is which type of physical intervention can I give that will help them? So ultimately when it comes to tissue healing, a lot of things that we want to do is like appropriate load, whether it's strength building or, or even like these low level strength exercises, which people like they go to rehab and they think they're doing these like kind of like silly exercises. You have to think also if like, let's say you have an injured tissue that is kind of in a kind of like a weakened brittle state those things are actually still creating an adaptation effect. Yep. So in physical therapy, it's this concept called mechanotherapy, right? So it's like low load to take that injured tissue and then you, you stress it to adapt stronger. Like, you know, rehab and phys and strength and conditioning are the same thing. They're different so sides of the spectrum, right, right. right? With strength and conditioning, you, you stress your body. So then your body adapts, you get stronger. You, same thing you're doing with rehab, but just the amount of stress that you need for adaptation is much yeah, more Yeah, and I, I noticed right? that uh, when in one week that I was doing uh, the physical therapy for my foot. And on, on Monday, yeah. they put a, a bunch of marbles and I was trying to get those marbles with my uh, toes and I was yeah. just not able. For three minutes, I yeah. tried to get, but my, my toes yeah. were so stiff that I couldn't get it. On Friday, yeah, I got yeah. all those marbles. <laughs> it was the best feeling yeah. ever. Never thought that. I was yeah. so happy getting marbles, but but yeah. it was stretching. It was that continuous stretching you know, yeah, that yeah. really helped. Yeah. yeah. So you know, like again, if we continue go down the spectrum of things of what I think is valuable, the next thing would be manual therapy, and there's kind of like manual therapies in this weird situation because I feel like people don't really understand it. There's the the people that say that they're breaking up scar tissue. And I feel like that was an analogy that someone used like 20 years ago and then manual therapists didn't actually look in the literature and like say like this is actually not happening, right? So I think the most current model of what they think is happening with manual therapy is that what you're doing is you're stimulating some of the connective tissue around the muscle, which then when the when that connective tissue gets stimulated, it kind of releases, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why when you get soft tissue work, you feel better, you can move better. In my opinion, though, that manual therapy then has to be reinforced with those interventions earlier, like this, you know. So if, like, let's say, like, someone does some soft tissue work, like, again, you have an injury, um, you have some swelling, let's say they do some kind of soft tissue work and they kind of, like, kind of, they, they kind of move around that swelling, they get your ankle moving better. If you don't then follow up with some kind of active movement, whatever benefit that you just got was lost. And, and that's the same thing with, like, with any type of manual therapy, whether it's, foam rolling if you just foam roll and then you just walk away that temporary temporary change that you got from the foam roll is already lost hmm. right i would foam roll for and, and the goal is also to get the minimum dose like how long can i foam roll and get the benefit personally i don't foam roll um 
I do think there, there can be benefits to foam rolling for certain people. If they like it, they should do it. Any benefit that you get is probably – you only really need to foam roll for like 30 seconds to a minute. But then I would follow up with some kind of intervention so that you get more range of motion than you use. Right. Yeah. And, and then, then the, the next thing would be those additive mo- modalities like laser. You know, like so again, if, if, if you, you're going to see a rehab specialist – and they're doing the manual therapy. They, they they do the intervention. They take the time to kind of educate you. And you still got time, and you want to do the uh, the laser. Do you find it beneficial? Mm-hmm. I don't see that's a problem. The problem would be the people that just want the special stuff. Like they go in, they just want soft tissue work. They just want the laser and then the ice. But they didn't do anything. Like that's where I have more of a problem because you're using theoretical, you know therapeutic modalities but you're kind of like missing the point it's almost like right? uh, people that like so, jiu-jitsu but they don't like the fundamentals they just lo- like the, the advanced type of uh, uh, submissions and yeah. we all know that fund- yeah, fundamentals exactly. is everything yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah i mean that's actually a really good analogy i'm, I'm probably gonna steal that from you i'll, I'll give you credit don't worry <laughs> yeah because but yeah, exactly it, it, it is like, exactly the same thing yeah. and i feel that i i learned that throughout my physical therapy that we are always yeah keeping that foundational every day but then he introduces new yeah. things every other day but the foundation is the same yeah yeah exactly yeah you know and, and that's the thing is like even though like it, it's a shame right like sometimes like we do physical therapy like you're doing silly things you're like you know trying to pick up marbles with your toes mm-hmm. right They're like this seems kind of silly but like the point of a physical therapist is to again that's an appropriate intervention from where you are right now yep you know like but then, like, eventually, like you said, like, you do different things. Like, eventually, you kind of progress. Like, you can do this. Now you can go to this next thing. Eventually, he's going to get you walking. Then he's going to get you to do, like, quick steps. Then he's going to get you running, mm-hmm. right? Even if you're not necessarily going to be a runner, I still think it's good for grapplers to be exposed to different athletic or different movement positions because running is a way you can exp- – you know, it's like it's kind of like a way to express power yes. endurance because – you know, you're, you know yeah. what I mean? And then even if, you know, like just because you're not necessarily, you know, like you could be a, a grappler and never run, but I also think it's a good idea for people to be able to run, to jump just because that's a way to express your athleticism. And it's a way to also, so the kind of like the tissue and the muscle can experience those things. So you can kind of assess, is it ready for that higher level? Intensity? And the explosion and the running also helps you achieve yeah. the explosion. If you're going through a double take, uh, a double leg, and whatever you're doing, Absolutely. then it is important that you yeah. have that explosion coming come off from the uh, foot all the way to your legs and explode. Absolutely, yeah. No, that's a, that's a very interesting point, and I, I fully agree. It's it's very progressive. A lot of people they. They don't mm-hmm. give a lot of credit to physical therapy just because they feel, as you said, they feel they is uh, is uh, silly to grab marbles and to all that. Mm-hmm. But I'm learning mm-hmm. to appreciate a lot. I'm learning to appreciate a lot because when you start making progress on those little things, it makes a huge difference. And only now I realize mm-hmm. the amount of movements that we do just to f- walk because I, I'm able mm-hmm. to do some yeah, steps. But I'm still not there yet just because I don't have the full range mm-hmm. of motion on my ankle to do the, the proper walk. And I never realized we needed so much. Mm-hmm. And I never realized also that the big toe mm-hmm. has such an important function on your foot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. 
Yeah. yeah, and that, that's the thing too is even though obviously you, you you want your big toe to move because you want to be able to walk, but also that's something that like is going to be important when you grapple because you're going to be on your big toe. You're going to be with that active toe position. Again, that's not something that people necessarily think. They're like, what does a toe matter? No, it actually matters for different positions as you transition. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a good point. Yeah, but I I would say just. I, I would throw in, I think the problem that happens with a lot of physical therapists is they don't explain their plan to their athlete. So let's say like you went into physical therapy and you know, you're, you're swollen, you know, swollen and you're just doing these toe exercises. If the physical therapist never actually explained the process, like this is where we are now, this is what we're going to do when you prove you can do the next step, then we get you walking, then we get you running and then we get you jumping and then we get you do like, if you never go through that, then the person's going to be like, well, of course this is silly. Like, I could have thought of this myself. Mm-hmm. So there's that aspect. And then the second aspect is unfortunately with how um, the, you know, the medical model works in a lot of countries like in the, in the U.S. with, with insurance to pay so that, you know, the therapist has adequate salary. They take insurance. They have to see multiple patients in an hour. So now they're like, they're not really getting the same amount of attention, right? So – I feel like that's what gives a lot of physical therapists a bad name. But uh, what I would also say, there's a lot of really good sports physical therapists or kind of like a, it's an unofficial term, something called a performance therapist, that person who can bridge that gap from rehab to strength and conditioning to performance, which is really what a grappler is looking for. Someone that understands you're, you know, right now, like you can't walk, but how do we get you back to rolling? I mean, again, it's not an official term performance therapist, but it's, it's something that I think that that's what most people are looking for when they, you know, go to rehab. And when they don't get that, they get disappointed and like, oh, the rehab yeah, doesn't I'm work. glad you say that because uh, this is exactly the, the, the search that I did for sports rehab mm-hmm. uh, in my area. And I actually called in. I said, did mm-hmm. you ever uh, dealt with Lynn's Frank injury before? And they said, yeah, we, had, we actually had mm-hmm. some NFL athletes that had the same injury that, because it's mm-hmm. very common in F- NFL. And uh, we were able mm-hmm. to get them to, to play against. Okay, so um, that's where I'm going because I want to have people that have yeah. that experience as well. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, one thing that's unfortunate is if you never worked with an athlete who has an injury, like you, you always have to get the first at some point. Yeah. But the, the beneficial thing that you did was you, you're with someone who's a pro athlete. Like you get someone back to the NFL, like you have to, again, take the, the level of athlete you could probably say that like the NFL athletes probably like the highest level athlete of any sport. I mean, obviously it, it depends on the sport, but just knowing how much money is there, you know, like you take like a jiu-jitsu athlete because there's no money, like you're not going to get the same level of athlete than you would with like an NFL player. So they're work like these are the type of people making like millions and millions of dollars. If, if they're getting back to playing, like, you know, it's effective because if someone's, you know their career they get to make millions of dollars to play they're not going to go to like a kind of an inadequate physical right. therapist and, and that's probably and they probably do have some special program because i've seen some nfl athletes coming back yeah. in front of injury really fast so probably they are also doing yeah. multiple sessions a day and multiple therapies a day just mm-hmm. to speed up the process which is another point that i that i that i would like to ask do you think that mm-hmm. there is any or the thing that can improve healing, or is just a matter of time. There is any supplementation, there is any uh, special diet, something that can help the process. Do you ever talk about this with your uh, with your patients? 
Well, okay, so there's two things. So there's things that will slow down healing. It doesn't happen that often, but it does happen. Something like smoking will slow down healing, right? Because smoking will actually kind of like ne- negatively affect the, the healing po- qualities of the tissue. So there are those athletes that, that smoke, even if they're not an athlete, like we had the discussion, look, I know you might not be able to just stop smoking, but know that this is negatively going to affect your healing process, mm-hmm. right? Next thing is we can talk about pro- protein intake. You know, like when you repair your body, like proteins kind of like the building block. So you might need to take an increase of protein. I usually don't really talk too much about diet other than say like, hey, like, you know, you might want to increase your protein levels. I do think it is important though. Uh, it's not as much of a problem with athletes, but there are a lot of people out there with essentially really terrible right. diets, which might be like pro-inflammatory. So it's like you might be more inflamed because you're just eating really poor food. And, and sometimes I'll have that discussion, you know, but I don't necessarily jump to that. Um, it depends on your state. Like in California where I practice, I am allowed to talk about that, but it's kind of like I have so much time with my patient. It comes to like picking my battles. Mm-hmm. So it might be something that I say offhand while I'm doing some manual therapy. So it, like, it is a good point of, of things to address when you talk about nutrition. So I would say increase protein intake, maybe decrease um, inflammatory foods, maybe decrease alcohol. I know a lot of times what people do is they're injured, they can't do anything, they're feeling depressed, they want to have some more alcohol. Mm-hmm. I, I would encourage people to not go down that road. And I've been there too personally, so I get it. But you know, just know that it, it will potentially affect the healing process. Um, I do think that cardiovascular training is really beneficial as well with, with whatever that they can mm-hmm. do because again the, the better your cardiovascular system can function which is you know your your the, the better you can get nutrients spread there's a reason that athletes tend to heal a lot faster than non-athletes some of its motivation because they're willing to put in that extra work like they're not gonna you know i have a lot of patients i'm like did you do exercises and they'd be like no i didn't well it's like what do you think is gonna happen you, you think you're gonna get better if you don't do what i'm showing yeah. you <laughs> Usually athletes are the people like, yeah, I did it like five times. So they're like the, the type of people where I have to actually like tell them to maybe like slow mm-hmm. it down, you know, so th- there's the motivation, but also if they're in a better cardiovascular standpoint, like their base before the injury, right. you know, likely they are going to start to deteriorate a little bit, but it's not going to be that much, you know, and then there's things that you could do to try to maintain that, you know, like a lot of times it is good to get someone to do some kind of cardiovascular training before we do manual therapy because it makes the tissue a little bit more pliable. That's something we can say, but also I just know that the cardio overall is going to help them. Um, what, what is your take on healing, vitamin, vitamin so, D? Do you think vitamin D helps uh, in some way, the healing process? Uh, I haven't looked into literature on it, so I, I'm, I'm, I can't really give like a, a real expert mm-hmm. opinion. Um you know, I do think vitamin. I knew, do think vitamin D is very beneficial for health. I do feel a lot of people who have unhealthy lifestyles are deficient in it, so it could be beneficial. I would like it, but I would need to do a little bit more research to know specifically if it would help with the healing process. Yeah, yeah I'd um, love to see one of your posts so, about uh, the overall nutrition, and uh, I know that it's, your, it's not your area, but I just, I just feel like uh, yeah. it's very complementary because if you're thinking about the well-being of the athletes to recover and if there are things that they sh- that they that that person should avoid uh and some things that yeah. they can improve uh the healing process why not yeah. doing right yeah exactly uh, another thing to think with the healing process is this gets a little specific but 
specific exercise and movements can enhance healing. So if we take the healing process, let's say you have some kind of injury, right? So usually with there'll be some kind of damage to the, the tissue, whatever tissue it is, whether it's muscle, ligament, tendon. Then as you go through the healing process, you build scar tissue. Well, what is scar tissue? So essentially it's disorganized chaotic tissue. So your, your body is just trying to connect the dots. But that tissue is still weak and unorganized. So potentially if you do specific loading to that tissue, whether it's exercise, whether it's certain movements, it can help to reline or remodel that tissue, which is making it more resilient. And I think that's like something that's very common with like an ankle sprain is you talk to someone like, well, have you ever sprained your ankle? And usually it's not they've sprained their ankle once. It's if they've sprained it, they've usually sprained it a ton. And the reason why is because a lot of times that ankle ligament had gotten stretched out. They got back to their activity because pain had gone down, but that ligament had never regained the previous, like its uh, level of resilience pre-injury. And that's because they've never actually done some specific movements to start to strengthen that right. ligament. Uh, one of the things that I like doing would be positional isometrics, um, different isometric training, because you can take something at wherever its end range is and you do isometric loading. And then as the range of motion improves, you keep doing it, you keep doing it, you keep doing it. So essentially what you're doing is you're, you're as, the, as that's progressing, you're going to be very specific of, okay, this tissue is a little bit weaker. We're doing isometric loading and then it gets stronger because it can take more. And, and then we either we increase the intensity or we progress the range of motion. Yeah, make, 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 makes total sense. Uh, and what is the what is yeah. the, the fine line between enhancing that uh, scar tissue and, and sometimes that fear of uh, rupture or doing something beyond is necessary? Like, because sometimes to me, I, the doctor said, my PT says, is it stretching? I say, well, it is stretching, but at which point we actually stop Because I think that the fear plays a lot when you are rehabbing, right? You are afraid of rupture or mm -hmm. you are afraid of uh, re-injury. So I'm still yeah. trying to battle yeah. the fine line between continuing to stretch or not. I guess when it comes to stretching, again, people perceive stretching differently. Um, what I would say with stretching is if I actually want to stretch a tissue, and again, this comes down to the physiology of what we think is happening when we stretch. When we do stretch, there's on some level what we're doing is we're stimulating some of the, the stretch receptors in the tissue, which is saying, hey, it, 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 like the body thinks the muscle is going to rip. And the more that we stretch, now the, 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 those receptors are going like, hey, maybe I can stretch and it won't rip. So there is definitely a, a neurological component mm -hmm. with stretching and, and kind of like uh, eventually stimulating the stretch reflex. I usually tell people also if we want to actually make – so there actually is some literature that when you stretch, there is some kind of hypertrophy effect because the tissue is – there is loading going through that tissue. Um, but I – tend to hold my stretches for up to two minutes so i would prefer to wow, hold that's a, that's a comfortable lot. Two stretch minutes. for longer wow. that's a longer yeah uh so it depends on the person like if, if, if i don't think the person can be very consistent i might tell them for 30 seconds and then as they do the program then i'll progress to up to two minutes um but, but what is but, the rationale uh, to to hold for so long is just to get your body used to that Uh, yeah, it just essentially if we want to affect tissue on more of a physiological level than just the neurological level, it looks like you have to hold for mm. longer. So 30 seconds, 30 um, seconds wouldn't be enough. 
Yeah, and, that, and that's why usually people do multiple sets of 30 seconds because, again, it comes down to compliance. Like if I say stretch for two minutes, some people will be like, I'm not doing that, yeah. you know? But if you do multiple sets of 30 seconds and then they end up accumulating up to two minutes, that's beneficial. So sometimes I kind of have to like read my patient and see what I can get them to do. Um, so in to take like this is an analogy I'll use. Like you take a rubber band, like you pull the rubber band, then you let it go. It goes back to where it's supposed to. If you pull really, 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 really hard, eventually it'll break. If you pull and then you hold and you hold, eventually that tissue get, gets stretched mm -hmm. out. That's kind of what we're looking for. Um, you don't want to be too aggressive with the stretch. Again, you want to feel comfortable tension, but you want to hold enough, hold it long enough so then it actually gets stretched out. Yeah, yeah, and and I was asking about this stretching because we start doing some stretch on my foot. Initially, it was ninety degrees, and and we had to be mm -hmm. uh, twenty five degrees more uh, inward uh, in order to to really do the walking movement. So I mm -hmm. I really needed to to have a better range of motion on the foot, and and the way he was doing this is by you know little sessions of stretching like thirty seconds, holding, holding, holding. Mm -hmm. And um, I just had to 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 learn when to trigger and and say, mm -hmm. is this a pain? Is this pain expected, or sh can I hold more? Should mm -hmm. I hold more? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so so I mean, it sounds like you are doing what I'm saying. Like you're doing little sessions of 30 yes. seconds. I would say with, when when it comes to stretch, it also comes in wear, right? So like we'll take your sounds. Were you talking about your your calf or your gastroc mm -hmm. to get your ankle your ankle up? Yep. Yeah. So perfect example. You should feel this stretch mostly behind, like at the back of the calf. You might feel a little bit tension in like the tendon, like your Achilles tendon. Where you don't want to feel tension would be in the front of the ankle, right? Because that that's a concept that I took from functional functional range systems, which is the idea of a closing angle dysfunction. So if your ankle is being pulled up and you're feeling it in the front of the ankle nothing's being stretched there. That's like there's something wrong with the joint that's creating that pinch. So it's kind of like trying to close a door with a door jam mm. because you're not going to be able to do it. So you jam more and you stretch more. You're not actually getting to the stretch. Right. So if someone presents with a closing angle pain, closing angle dysfunction, that's a sign that maybe that they don't need stretching. Maybe that they need some kind of manual therapy or some kind of joint manipulation or joint mobilization or something else to address it because what they're doing is is not going to get to the issue. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's amazing, doctor. And uh, uh, yeah. we we could talk for hours here, uh, but I want you mm -hmm. to close and, and just say thank you very much. And also thank, thanks for the all the posts and the the work that you're doing with the community because they are very very uh, uh, instructional. It has all the the rationale, the studies. You have the science behind everything you are sharing. Mm -hmm. Very beneficial to the community. And uh, I wish I was in California and, uh, right now to, to just get a session, uh, get a session <laughs> with you. Uh, that yeah. would be great. Uh, yeah. But uh, I, I think I'm going to hands here. I have uh, uh, someone that has been working with me, and I'm I'm getting better. Cool. And physical therapy is uh, is the way to go. I I'm not gonna rush. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to re-injure. That's for sure. Uh, and I'm very cautious about that. I'm I'm probably gonna go back uh, to drills around April, uh, because mm -hmm. April will be. Uh, seven months after the the injury, uh, mm -hmm. which is a good time to start uh, playing around a little bit. Yeah. And between now and then, I'm just going to to strength training. You know. Yeah. Going to to make sure that my muscles are uh, back to to what it was. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you're doing everything right. 
right? And, you know, even though I, I wish I could be multiple places, there's a lot of really good therapists all around the country. So, you know, you know it sounds like you're in good hands. All right, Doc. Thank you very much for your time. Um, I, I, I truly appreciate you taking time from your busy schedule to uh, record this episode. So thank you very much. No problem. It's great, it's great to be on. Thank you.